Hi there and welcome back to the FFS podcast and welcome back to the MWS series yet again. Now for those of you who've just joined us for this particular episode and are wondering what the hell the MWS stands for, it's basically the midweek fixture. It's somewhat a sister series to the main flagship program which is the FFS podcast which runs every Sunday. Uh, this runs every Wednesday, so if you're listening to this, you're either listening on a Wednesday night or a Thursday morning, and thank you for joining us. If you are a regular to the FFS podcast and you're a regular to the MWF series, welcome back. I'm glad that you'll, you know, you've either binge-listened uh, binge to us or you've joined us yet again. Uh, I'm glad that we've interested you, and yeah, can't wait to you know, hear from you again or can't wait for you to listen to this next half hour of football content. So for today's particular episode, we're going to be discussing or reviewing rather three important key games that happened last week and as well as this last yesterday, uh, which is Saturday for I'm recording this on a Sunday, so it's Saturday. Um, And so the three games that we're going to be focusing on are Liverpool versus Spurs. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Liverpool versus Spurs because it was played at Anfield. Then we're going to uh, focus on Inter Milan versus Napoli and Bayern, Bayern versus Bayer Leverkusen. And I might be mistaken as to who's where those games were played, but you know they will, you know, uh, they will correct me in due course. Now, in this particular episode, we're doing it in three different parts, so we'll be reviewing three different matches separately. So the first game that we are going to be reviewing is the Liverpool versus Spurs game, which happened. I'm going to say, yeah, Wednesday night for those of you living in the UK or Thursday early morning for those of us living here or in India or any part of the Eastern uh, Hemisphere. Uh, So I'm going to start off by asking you guys. So we've got two guests on this particular podcast. One's a Spurs fan and one's a Liverpool fan. So Boyd, who's been on the FFS podcast before, and some of you may have heard of him. Uh, so he's the Spurs fan, and we've got a newbie to the MWF podcast, which is Dananjay, and he is the Liverpool fan. And yeah, I'm I, I'm a Liverpool fan as well. So, so we've kind of ganged up on boy, but uh, I'm going to be a moderator for this predominantly. So let's kind of start off with asking both of you what you thought of the match, whether you felt Liverpool deserved the victory or Boyd, especially where you slightly aggrieved by the fact that Spurs just I mean, had a couple of clear chances and would feel slightly angry or disappointed that they didn't come away at least with a point. So I'm going to leave it there. And whoever wants to start the conversation, you can unmute yourselves and we can take it from there. I think it was a very tactical game. And uh, it's very clear how Jose plays in these big games. He sits back and, you know, like doesn't have the ball at all. And uh, yeah, it it was exactly how we expected the game to be. We had, I think, we had around 70% plus possession throughout the entire game. Uh, and yeah, we were the ones that were building from the back, making chances. And uh, we did have a lot of clear chances, I'll say. Spurs had the better chances, for sure. They, they had open goals. Uh, they had uh, one-on-one situations with uh, Allison, And yeah, they, were, they, were, they had the better chances. But yeah, I mean, again, in games like these, you have to take the chances you get and you have to bury them for sure because... If you don't bury them, then the game will for sure punish you. And I think, yeah, we had we had some chances too. We could have been better. We could have finished them, but we didn't. 
and yeah i think i think in the end uh, all the viral should have been marking for me you know and uh, in games like these you have to be attentive all the time and i didn't i don't think all the viral marked mark for me you know and then again if you give an open header to fermino he will for sure score the goal so yeah i think i think we could say that it was a snatch and grab in the end but yeah i think tottenham had the more clear chances and could have taken it from us for sure yeah i i actually i really agree but for me actually the most surprising thing was more the aftermath of the game so how people responded to it and the discussion of the Mourinho and Klopp remarks and the the way they played because the game itself for me was exactly like what we predicted or at least what i expected i expected liverpool to have the ball i expected them to have more chances but the chances themselves to be quite restricted bodies in the way um sn- snapshots if you will and dispersed chances to be breakaways and bringing Kane and Son into play um and that's exactly it i think we could have literally drawn out the whole game and be right what i'm i i think spurs had the better chances like one and ones with bergwijn with son um but liverpool had more chances but i also think for me i've been saying it for weeks now and sometimes people are or months even and people are surprised but for me this is the reason it or this game showed why i think spurs will not win the title because there's just there's these small situations during the game where you see a quality difference in players and yeah for me like the game exactly yeah i was i was angry i all oh, angry isn't the word i was disappointed by getting so close and not getting the result but yeah to be fair if you would have offered spurs fans um to get as many points as they did in the last few games being second being three points off top of liverpool who have been this amazing team for the last two years but like you said i i think like i agree with both of you i think spurs definitely had the better chances and i feel that's why jose mourinho also made that comment that the best team lost i felt like that's what he was referring to rather than the whole game as a game as a whole like boyd said i think given that spurs tactics are kind of sit back and wait and then hit on the counter attack it feels like you need to be clinical at those moments and i feel that's the quality difference that we're making that liverpool were clinical when it needed to be versus spurs were less so in a game which was similar to what you, we saw at man city but uh there they were more clinical it just doesn't work every day and i think another reason spurs had the better chances was because again we played reese williams and like we did not have like the best defenders again if we would have uh, had van dijk i think the first chance that bergwijn got was because reese williams couldn't head the ball ahead and because of that uh, bergwijn was left alone with alisson uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 right i think if yeah. we would have had another defender that was possibly more experienced because if you would have uh, looked at reese williams has made a lot of mistakes in the past i think in another uh, in the game before that he played too he made a lot of mistakes and that's why we lost so i think again it also depended on the defense the plan i think would have uh, would have been harder for spurs to work if we had another defender for us for sure other than reese williams but, but yeah like in the first half itself they they were 
it was a little difficult, right, boy, to like kind of break through the defense. It's only like second half when Spurs really went onto the full attack and you know really threatened Liverpool's defense and had those one-on-one chances. Yeah, and I think another chance that Spurs had was the clear Kane had Kane header. I think I think that one should have been their moment because. He was like I. I don't think any other than Henderson. I think nobody was pressuring him either, and it yeah. was an open goal. Yeah. I think I think you you need to take those chances if you have them against a team like Liverpool, and if you don't do that, then again you're presenting them on a plate, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. I th- when I was referring to the quality, I wasn't necessarily referring to the finishing because the finishing of Spurs have been amazing throughout the season. Uh. The, like Son and Kane in particular, but the chances they create and how they create them, I think it's sometimes people refer to Mourinho and the counter-attacking and, and just parking the bus and stuff like that. They speak about it like it's simple, but or l- like there's no no uh, practice or no no ingenuity behind it. Yeah, they basically dubbed the entire match as anti-football versus football, which I. I mean, I just don't understand. Yeah, exactly. Like, and like, I, I like, I have to be honest. Like, this match for me actually showed. Like, it was literally proving what I've been thinking and realizing for the last year since he uh, got appointed. When he got appointed, I was actually quite annoyed. Like, we got rid of one of the most well-loved managers we Spurs have had in recent history. He has been massive for the club and how Spurs fans feel about Tottenham. And we got in this guy who was known for being negative, for being toxic, for playing dull football. Like I was one of those guys who maybe thought too easily about it as well. But when he has been at Spurs... People sometimes, they, they simplify it. Like so, last year, there's been this narrative like Spurs are playing better football than last year. I'm not too sure. I think it's just the passes are slightly better. Son and Kane are really, really good. And as opposed to just running into traffic in midfield, you get chances away. And then all of a sudden, you win 2-0 as opposed to drawing 0-0. And that makes people think, oh, wow, they are good now. But yes. the same with this, with this game with Liverpool, the difference for me was, yes, it was partially, like it, you could argue the difference was finishing. But I, I don't think that's the massive, the difference for me was mainly what the players individually are able to do. I remember there was a moment where Son was pressuring Fabinho, I think. And he literally flicked it over Son's head, controlled it, and played a simple ball. That that's that is amazing. That is like if you have players all around the pitch that can do that, you can create better chances. You can deal with pressure. You can win top games. And for me, that's the difference. Like you guys were referring to having a poor or poorer defense. Last year, when I would have said we would play a top-level game with Eric Dyer and Alderweireld, who has been slightly getting old a bit, people would laugh. Like, they are not the top defenders like Alderweireld once was, and Eric Dyer, I think, has gotten a lot of criticism for the way he plays. They are not the elite defenders. So, for me, the difference is mainly like when 
when you have a through pass, right, it makes a big difference if it's Sissoko who plays it or if it's Wijnaldum. It, the pass will be slightly overhit. It will be slightly underhit. You have to take an extra touch to control. And I think that's the difference. When you play Liverpool, it will be snappy. There will be mistakes, sure. But the chances they create, like the, 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 the corner at the end. Yet, uh, what's his name? Uh, I keep forgetting his name every time. That, that former Spurs manager, ironically, that went like, oh, I don't care about the corner. I'm not very oh, bothered yeah. about uh, it. Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood. Yeah, Schubert. thanks. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. His name escaped. Yeah. No, but, it's okay. I, it's understandable that you forget about it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I, I really don't like him. But anyway, yeah, yeah. like his reaction, his response, like, oh, it's a corner. I don't really care. I understand what he's saying. Like, most of the time, they don't resolve it anything. But the delivery some of the players at, at Liverpool sorry, have is amazing. And even like the ball, or they scored it, and you could argue like, oh, yeah, it should have marked. And I agree that the marking for set pieces in that corner in particular for Tottenham have been really bad. But when you look at the runs and how they make it, it isn't coincidence in three. They block and they move and they block again. And that's, for me, is the difference. Like Spurs... Spurs are good, and Spurs, are, for me, I think they play very well and maybe deserve to get something away with it. But even yeah. if they would have won it, even, say, say Spurs would have won it, I don't think they would have won it. There, there's issues and some, some slight... You miss the top, top quality in certain positions to be able to do the same as Liverpool do, I think. Right, fair enough. And Dananjay, I want to ask you one, because we're almost out of time as well. Uh, from Liverpool's perspective, you know, a marker to show the, to the rest of the league to say that, hey, we've got an injury and, you know, defensive concerns, but we're still there. We can still challenge for the title. And I know after yesterday's match, that's even more pronounced after the 7-0 drubbing of uh, Crystal yeah, Palace. Yeah. So, yeah, what does this entail for Klopp and his league? I mean, does this... Is this a good? I mean, I'm sure this is a good sign, but it, it must be even more ominous for the rest of the league to say that you know these guys are getting results even despite their concerns. And if you're still in the title hunt for another month or so, a month or two, then you can see your you know players who were injured come back, and that even more reinforces Liverpool. Yeah, I think I think without with the injury crisis that we have, we, again, uh, if you look at it, we are not making that many substitutes. Again, with Keita and uh, like all these guys returning, sure, we are making some substitutes, but we are winning all these games without any actual good uh, like substitutes. And if you add Thiago to the mix, if you if you add Shakiri to the mix, if you add all these players to the mix, just I mean you know if there's something about like you know all these guys playing together, and if we are at full peak power, then I honestly don't think any team has like you know has the guts to stop us because you know in games like uh, teams who sit uh, sit back, Burnley, Newcastle, and all these games, you know. For these games, we have we had the perfect signing, Thiago. Thiago makes that one pass to break these defenses. We're done. So we are playing all these games with a team that that's had. I think we have had around ten injured players for sure, ten or eleven, I think. And four or five may have come back, but we still have like seven to eight players that are injured. If we have these players come back, and again, I think in January, and we will get Jota and all these players back. So if we get these players back, I, I think they're unstoppable. To be very honest. Nobody can stop us, for sure. And and Boyd, from Spurs' perspective, I know it, it was a it was a loss, but it's still comforting to know that 
you're there and you can tie, you can challenge for, because this is an unpredictable season you know there there can be multiple injuries there can be with the virus you know many people can be out as well so for spurs jose marino might still think that he is in with a shout of a title even though he won't scream it from the rooftops yeah i agree well the, the, like i said like the game itself was exactly like what i thought it would be but the what happened around it that's surprising me like mourinho made some remarks in the press conference after the game where he was referencing to stuff in the future like not one year ahead but like two three years ahead which i didn't expect from mourinho mourinho is known to be the short term manager that wins you stuff right so that was surprising but the other hand as well like i had a discussion with a uh, 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 analyst that said where there is this narrative that you can't win a title when playing counterattacking football because you will have too many draws as opposed to winning and losing which earns you more points um and i kind of agreed but the other hand you can you could argue is morillo doesn't demand the same intensity for 90 minutes physically as for example a club does so maybe that that's that's quite interesting to know for the next few months maybe you could even argue like the uh, the arsenal game after 45 minutes you you finished you you, yeah. you stop playing football and maybe in the longer run that will get you less injuries and maybe allows you to challenge for some award prizes some trophies whatever down the line but on the other hand as well i feel like people act like this game would decide the premier league i think it's way too early for that also because with liverpool they say oh yeah we have this many injuries and it's true but i've looked up how much rotations they do in their squad for the last 2 3 years they don't rotate at all like maybe one change there was i believe there was only one team that had less rotations for the last 2 3 years than liverpool did and yes it has to do with the quality of their subs and stuff like that but Klopp complains about it, which is understandable because it was a lot. It had a massive amount of injuries, and it's a, a lot of quality. But I was a bit surprised by him talking about it and speaking about it like it was some sort of external thing that he couldn't influence. When in the same situation, Spurs had, uh, I think it was two or three months, or well, sorry, one or two months, where. The first month they had 11 games and the second month they had like 9 or 10 for the Europa League qualifiers which are great by the way. Um <laughs> so yeah. so and I I I know I understand you could argue like you play some Belarusian side and after 45 minutes you take your best players off because you're ahead but Spurs weren't they were still finding out their feet or like still finding out how to play. When you look at Tottenham people speak about it like they had this one great team like in the 15 14 15 15 16 season you know where you could literally predict starting 11 with the Lielli Eriksen and stuff yeah. like that but i think people are quite underestimating how much rotation mourinho does with region aurie dogarty sisoko hoybier and dombele lo celso uh, burkwein sometimes bill stuff like that and i'm not saying like It's similar but I'm surprised that some of the 
big managers with these massive squads with immense quality complain about scheduling without making sub, without yeah. rotating your squad. And for this game, it doesn't make a difference. But for me, it's interesting going forward is what will happen. Because I don't think it will stop. I think it will get worse if you don't rotate. No, I, I get it. I think, I think from Klopp's perspective, it was... I get the I get why you think that, and I I I agree. Sometimes it feels like he's it, it for some reason it, it does. It feels like an excuse at times because of the results that he's gotten, the draws especially away from home. But I I don't want to get into too much into that because that could go on for another half hour. And plus, I also don't I didn't bring I know I didn't bring up the Thorn uh, issue about it being a controversial go because again that that could go on for another ten minutes. But unfortunately, I'll have to call it a time out for now uh, we will definitely catch up soon when we when we go to uh, Tottenham Hotspur stadium for leg number 2 but thanks boyd and dhananjay for being a part of this podcast and no problem yeah thank you yeah no worries thanks right. yeah and uh, that's a, that's about it for part 1 uh, we'll catch you soon at part 2 all right so now we're on to part 2 of this particular episode and we're now going to be reviewing game number two which is between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich. So I'm going to say just for clarification it's Leverkusen, Bayer Leverkusen versus Bayern Munich because if I say Bayer versus Bayern some, somebody or the other is going to get confused. So and to discuss this particular match I've got two fans on this podcast. Uh, it's Aniket who supports Bayern Munich and Jason who supports Bayer Leverkusen. That isn't too bad isn't it? Uh, and so guys I'm going to just leave Start with the ultimate question, which is, what did you guys make of the match? Um, I quite liked the game. It was um, it was very end to end, as most Bayern versus Leverkusen games have been in the past. To be honest, uh, I so I just start off by saying that I, I thought Leverkusen played really, really well in the first thirty to thirty five minutes. What impressed me about them is how they, how they pressed and how they were so they, Bayern themselves have a very good press and they're known for their high press. But I loved how Leverkusen um, was so were able to like wriggle away from tight spots so easily and they had a lot of chances in my opinion where they were like one or two final touches away from having a clear shot on goal. So um, in the end, it was a really a professional game from us but um, I still have to give my credits to them um, for most of this game really. It was actually, um, I really enjoyed the game as well and I totally agree with what you said about Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen still play. Um, I turned out a heart, like a heartbroken man at the end there, um, I didn't. Uh, every time there was a corner for the last couple of minutes, I did think to myself, "It's a matter of time." It's it's what Bayern Munich do best. Um, but even worse, it was a, a, like a silly mistake from um, Jonathan Ta. Yeah. Um, his yeah. touch for that game uh, for the goal. Um, it, it was it was just poor. But I did think I agree as well. Like I thought, Bayer Leverkusen started off really brilliant and sharp. Um, and then it just it just looked like it was the fatigue was kicking in. Um, players were getting tired near the end, and obviously there's been a lot of football games for both clubs. But Bayern Munich they've obviously got the bigger squad and depth, um, and I think that's what made Bayern Munich win that. Um, I think Bayer Leverkusen had a couple of players on the bench that were fit or newer faces in there. Um, we probably could have got something out of it, but yeah. 
it's, it's just a typical Bayern Munich one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would like to say, now, this is the seventh game in a row in the Bundesliga where uh, Bayern have actually gone behind. And you lull everyone into a false sense of security with I that know, one goal. I know. Like, yeah, okay, take it. <laughs> give you but, that. But, but what I'd like to say about that is, in the past six games at least, I, there was this um, kind, there was this feeling I had, most Bayern fans had, where you're not really playing well, but you're kind of getting the results. It's how Bayern do it. Just from this game though, I'd say there's this optimism that's crept into me, especially in the second half. That second half against Leverkusen, I felt was one of our best this season because um, right, we didn't create too many chances, but we didn't allow too many chances. And that's been our um, weakness this season, our defence. Um, we've conceded 18 goals already in the Bundesliga this season and we've only, we only conceded 18 in the entirety of 14-15. So seeing a performance like that in the second half where it, w- it wasn't really your typical Bundesliga game, um, but where we could shut them out, Leverkusen on a really good attacking side, for example, and with this sense of optimism. Being on such a good run of wins, it, being up in the league that we didn't expect to be, we're losing Havertz and, and Holland. Yeah, and um, I think just coming into the winter just now, it just gives them a break, you know, just to rebuild. Maybe another few faces come in over January. Yeah. And who knows, they may be still up behind Bayern Munich, hopefully. Because right. uh, it, it does a more exciting uh, Bundesliga chase because the amount of times you, you see the start of the, the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich are always start slow and then they just power away from everyone. Oh, unbelievable. So I'm just hoping uh, we can keep up behind them. Yeah. If you had asked me before, if, if you asked me to start the season and you told me by... December, you'd be a point behind Bayern Munich. Oh, um, you did. Yeah, I would have jumped, jumped at it. Um, especially with like, the players we've got injured. We've got a lot of players injured. We've never True. recruited much in yeah. the summer. So with January coming up, hopefully we can get one or two faces in just for um, I mean, just keeping that challenge. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, uh, I, I ha- I'm not really the biggest fan of Peter Bosch and I've always been a critic of him sometimes when he's just gone with this ultra-maniac formation. He'll, he'll give you a 3-4-3. Like last season, if I'm not wrong, he played a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3 against us. And if I'm not wrong, he had, I think, Kevin Folland as a win-back in certain games. I'm thinking, oh my God, does, do, you, do you even do defence? And um, I have to give my props to him this season. Um, he's lost Kai Havertz and uh, Kevin Folland and... Things that he's done in the team, playing Florian Wirtz um, down the middle, um, getting Leon Bailey to get back to his form from 17-18, getting Musa Diaby to improve his end product, and having goal scorers like Patrick Schick and Lucas Alario, I, he has to he has to get credit for me. Um, he's done a really good job this season. Yeah, Def- definitely. I just feel like this season he's more. <laughs> I kind of cursed myself before kickoff because I I was saying to myself Leverkusen's defence have been more you know, aware, they've been, you know, I think they've yeah. worked on it during this pre-season, they've worked on defensiveness compared to yep. last season, and then I cursed myself two defensive players <laughs> for the two goals, and I'm like, I mean, oh, that's Bayern Leverkusen last season. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bayern, just... Bayern really didn't have to do much to get both goals. Oh, to yeah. I, mean, okay. <laughs> I know. Like, I, especially the first goal, I was like, I first, it, it felt completely, I, I was thrown away because I didn't think the way Leverkusen were kind of bossing the game for the pretty much the f- most of majority of the first half it was kind of, came kind of a shock to me that you know Bayern had scored and when I saw that I was like why why would you it, it was kind of funny that Schick's goal reminded me of what Zidane scored against Bayer Leverkusen oh my <laughs> word don't don't. <laughs> yeah. don't don't tell the Bayer Leverkusen Twitter page that <laughs> I mean I was just while we're on this Bayer uh, Leverkusen have this nickname Leverkusen um 
basically then just never get it done and is it fair is it unfair not for me to answer but when you see a performance like this where they've been so good and they kind of shoot themselves in the foot right just before half time and then right in the end if i'm jonathan tar for example at um, on 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 the 9th out minute for example he just put oh, no. the ball up field come on that's all he need yeah that's all he needed to do i mean you've seen them they were in that bottom right hand corner with yeah. seconds to go and they were trying to do triangle passes and yeah it's it's lovely to see but when it's a matter of time just put it in the corners put it away over you know, at Bayern Munich side, because the time they get the ball and the time they get possession again, it would have been done. And I would have took a point. Yeah, been, you take, you take the point, point, you move, you, yeah. you're top of the tree, um, Christmas champions. It does have a psychological effect in a lot of ways. Now that now the team talk or the, during this winter break for Hansi Flick is a lot more different. Right, you guys yeah. haven't been at your best for the, for the last few games, but you're still Herb's Meister, our autumn champions. One other thing I actually like to talk on is actually Bayern's shape. This is, this I feel is really pertinent. Um, it's they've kind of switched around over the last few games. Hansi Flick before the Wolfsburg game actually said that he's going to try out something different. And what it was on paper, we looked at the defense and we looked at Niklas Zuller at right back, and you just think, oh my god, what on earth is he doing? But it's actually a formation that I really love. It's basically um, I've seen this in the past. It's basically what I call a three and a half man defense. Basically, what happens in those is when you're attack- when you're defending, you're defending with a four. But in attack, Niklas Zuller as the right back does not push high up the field and um, Alfonso Davies does. So what that basically does is it's limiting, uh, so it's maximizing Davies' strengths uh, going forward and minimizing the weakness that Niklas Zuller has uh, going forward by just keeping him at the back. So what, what that basically, uh, so it's great for teams when you have the kind of um, mismatch in terms of your fullbacks. One one of them's great defensively. One of them's great going forward. And I think this is a system we could use when even Benjamin Pavard is is back for us. I, I really like the shape of it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think it's only going to get better for Bayern Munich now. Um, I just feel like they've had they've obviously just had a wee like tiredness, like a hangover from yeah, winning definitely. the treble. Um, and you know what? It just shows you a sign of a good team. Fair enough, they've slipped up a couple of times, but they're still right amongst it. Um, and it was a shame, it's just a shame for Leverkusen, like as you said about you said at the start, um, Neverkusen because they always they always muck up. And yeah. it's like I'm in a I'm in a UK fan club with um Bayer Leverkusen and I'm reading the text on the group chat and everyone's just like that's just typical buyer. Like <laughs> there's no there's no surprise I, here. I wish, move on. I wish we'd had the Tottenham fan here as well, because that we oh I, I, I think yeah, you 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 relate a little more. They definitely relate a little more. But uh, I think in terms of tiredness and everything, I think the uh, introduction of Joshua Kimmich back to the squad was oh, so vital. You know, I was thinking watching the match, I was like, you know, Bayern would without Joshua look so different. And then he comes on and he gives that assist. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's such a noticeable difference. Now, while we're yeah. on this midfield, I'd like to say, uh, I, I've i seen a lot of Bayern fans on Twitter say they didn't enjoy David Alaba's performance in midfield. I was yeah. a bit more different and I might get Peltas for saying this, but I thought he was he was pretty decent. Uh, he had one or two line splitting passes. He had. Um, he was okay. I mean, so, so, sometimes the Alaba stuff is just because of his contract. It is because of his contract, of course, and people people kind of it, it kind of blows in, in the head. But I'd like to say that he he was he, was, he did a decent job, job shielding. He did a decent job going forward uh, in terms of line splitting passes. And of course, do not forget, everyone's going to give Yosef Kimmich the credit for that second goal. But why did Jonathan Jonathan Tarr take that heavy touch? Because it was Alaba's press. Which uh, caused him to take that heavy touch. Kimmich wins the ball. Lewandowski scores. So you're not going to hear too much of that. I, I thought he was it was a very steady performance. I said before the game I wanted to see um, Alaba in midfield this this game. 
what i did not enjoy from him was um, how ban actually when they play that uh, two man dm role uh, game they have yozova kimish so when is yozova kimish and goretzka for example yozova kimish is the man who sits in front of that back to, uh, in in between the defenders and is leon goretzka kind of going forward um playing that box to box role what happened this game is they were alternating between alaba and toliso and alaba every time he got into the box he looked like a fish out of water for example yeah, every time yeah. was a cross He, he he flapped at shots. He wasn't very good in the opposing op- opposition box. That's what Tolisso should do. Well, he did. He's he's great coming uh, late into the box and yeah. really good. Yeah. All right. So guys, uh, I I have to call it a timeout. Ten uh, minutes, twelve minutes have flown so fast. Oh, uh, but yeah, I know. It, it, but it was a fun conversation. I wish we could have more such conversations, and we will have more such conversations. you know either when leverkusen now goes to the allianz arena to play i want to know yeah oh that'll be the day and also thanks aniket and yeah. for this and uh, yeah come wait to host you again thank you, thank you so much thanks for having me all right time. all right guys and to those listening that's it for part 2 i'll catch you in part 3 All right, so welcome to now part number three, where we're going to be discussing the last game for this particular episode, and that is Inter Milan versus Napoli. So with me are two fans: one, uh, Fateh, who's an Inter Milan fan, and Pulkit, who is a Napoli fan. They haven't been on this podcast before, nor have they been on the FFS podcast before. So they're complete newbies to this particular podcast, and so I'm glad we could have you on here. So welcome, guys, and I just wanted to ask you. what did you make of that match because in terms of you know how it's going to going to go forward with ac milan definitely leading the pack but you know inter and napoli closely following suit i just wanted to know what your thoughts were so i think it's a very important year for napoli with uh, the sad demise of maradona um, i'm a fan of these new kits that they have and um, they played a fantastic match at the san siro i think uh, the better team did not win uh napoli were the better team um they conceded a penalty up until the penalty i think we were we were probably equally matched but after the penalty and the red card uh napoli were very good i mean uh, handanovic our goalkeeper he had to be on beast mode um the the post came to our rescue i mean it was a fantastic performance from napoli and like you said uh, going forward what do i think I actually think Napoli have a chance of winning the Scudetto this season uh, this season because um they don't have the Champions League um and I think Gattuso has really got them fighting and then there's this uh, issue with Maradona I mean uh, I don't think they deserved uh, nothing from this from this match so uh, I agree with Fateh uh, like uh, it was a good performance uh, for the first half it was evenly matched but uh, after we got the red card we actually played better i think uh, there were four clear chances we had but uh, handanovic was in beast mode as he said so uh, it was a, a great game for napoli but uh, undeserved undeserving defeat uh, and one thing i would like to say is that uh, it was a very very poor f- performance from the referee so i think both sides would ag- agree on that uh, there ma- there were many incidents uh, where uh, a foul should have been given it was not given and some incidents where it should have been give- given it was not given so like it it was a very poor performance um, moving forward i guess uh, it 
it uh, counts like a minus six points for Napoli because we played very well. And uh, since Inter is a title contender, if we see how Syria uh, sees the uh, ranking, if points are same, then they then they see if uh, then they see the head to head record. So uh, with currently with Milan, with Juventus, with Inter, we have a worse record. In head to head, so it was a bad defeat for us. I think. Yeah, uh, but in terms of the in terms of the red card, do you think? I, I know you mentioned referees not being at their best and the, during that particular match. Was it a deserved red for Insigne or a bit too harsh? I guess it was too harsh, but like uh, uh, from a Napoli fan perspective, uh, uh, I have seen getting these types of red cards. Uh, as a Napoli fan, and I think Insigne has himself seen such incidents happening, so he should not have done that kind of thing. And he is also the captain of the team, so he shouldn't have argued with the referee. I think. But I, I, I don't think it was a, a second yellow. Like I think it was a straight red, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a straight. I mean, red. yeah. So I think the referee was all over the place. I I I recall the commentators saying it probably twice or thrice. They were really uh, dumbfounded with what the referee was doing, and uh, yeah, very lucky win. Like very lucky win. And I was a bit surprised when Napoli lost to Milan, but uh, this time I think they really turned up. And how good is Lozano? Like uh, I thought last year wasn't good, and also I think uh, they didn't have uh, Osimhen playing this match, so. A few injuries, but uh, going forward for me, I think Napoli are going to be contenders with us. And I mean, a, a small word on Conte and you know, how he's going to manage yeah. this because now Inter, are you guys in the Europa League now? Nope, nope, nope. No, we're no, not. you guys were bottom. Bottom, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, you, I mean, Milan will be in Europa, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, how would you, is that something that you're looking at as, as a potential banana slip that Milan could? falter at some point and you could because it's only right now it's what three points difference if yeah. Milan uh, Milan are playing or Milan are win today so winning the Serie A I mean I think he started his UA reign uh, they had no Europe and they concentrated only on Serie A so I think this is a this is a massive positive for us I mean uh, you know that silver lining in the clouds sort of deal uh, not having Europe uh, there is a lot of fixture congestion uh, come Feb Napoli will be playing the Europa League uh, Juventus will be in the Champions League. Milan will have the Europa League. We'll have nothing. So, I'm looking forward to that. Also, I think we have this uh, a very intense system, a very intense way of playing uh, matches where, you know, Conte demands a lot from his midfielders. We only play with three midfielders. So, I think it's good. Maybe we'll see less injuries. So, it's a massive positive for us. And uh, Conte has a lot to do, a lot of work to do in Europe. But when it comes to domestic leagues, I think he knows how to win them. So, I am hoping that we can make a title charge this season. And uh, Pulkit, from your perspective? So, I think like Napoli, uh, go, uh, in the front line, they have uh, uh, decent options uh, in the substitutes also. So, uh, uh, get Gattuso, he can change uh, the system in like after the halftime. Uh, and it, it was like evident during the Sampdoria match, we were losing 1-0. Uh, before the half time uh, and when he made the changes uh, it was a different napoli playing and we won the game 2-1 so i think we have a lot of squad depth and this season uh, where the matches are so congested 
and uh, like uh, there is more chances of injury due to uh, this this fixture congestion i think uh, napoli has a great chance uh, for a title shot but again sure. we have to win these kinds of matches where we are going head to head with the title uh, challenging teams so, yeah i mean because i i've seen because juventus and roma are now above napoli and so it, given how congested that top 5 top 6 are going to be and this has been an exceptional season for a, for a lot of leagues and seria including you know given with covid and all the games coming thick and fast it's it's really going to be it's going to be very vital that you know you guys win not only the against the bottom half or the mid mid table teams but even against each other because that's where like i didn't know about the head to head situation but if that's going to be played out then that's going to come quite key especially this season and uh, i think that's that's true even for inter i mean under conte we've not been turning up in the big games uh i think we've lost to napoli too i mean we lost to them in the coppa and we lost you know we went out to them last season in the semi finals and we haven't been winning the big games i mean even this year i think we drew away to lazio so this was a massive massive three points for us because we've got a horrible record against the big teams and i hope we we now continue on this path awesome all right guys so i guess now is as good a time to call it today thanks fateh pulkit for giving your thoughts on this particular match uh we'd love to host you again in the near future but until next time i mean i'm glad that we could have this conversation and yeah uh can't wait to host you soon same here pradyuman cheers and thank you all to those of you who've been listening to this po- podcast this entire episode these three games that we have reviewed if you like the content that we've been putting out then please do rate us on seven different podcast platforms like apple podcast spotify google podcast um anchor Pandora, Amazon Music, we're there. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, where I try to keep as active as possible. So, uh, and yeah, if you do like the content that we're putting out, especially for this particular series, then do go back and listen to our previous episodes, where it's kind of as fun or as informative as today's was. So, thank you all for listening in. Uh, I'll catch you all next Wednesday. That's it for episode number twelve. I'm your host, Pradi, once again. You stay safe. and see you